0: Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor
1: in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor and a counseling professor. And Jill, dang it, it's good to see you. As I'm so glad to be back together with you. I promised I would never sing on this podcast again, but I just kind of want to go reunite. And it feels so cool. I love that.
0: I was, I was going to go the Muppets. Together again. Oh, it's good to be together again. Hopefully we're not violating any copyright things with that. But
1: um, don't turn um, us yes, in to people. It is
0: very good to be back together. Uh, missed you. Missed you, listeners. We uh, thought a little bit about trying a new approach for the new year, 2021, that um, we would put a little bit more effort into researching and preparing our topics so that we could put out two sort of bigger episodes a month and then have some mini episodes in between so um loved absolutely loved your mini episode from last week with reflections on uh the celebration of the reverend dr martin luther king jr
1: um thank you for sharing that well i appreciate you saying that but it it was not fun to do without you. It was a meaningful topic and I'm I'm glad we did have an episode, but I it's yeah, we're going to it's going to be a transition as we figure out what these in-between episodes are going to look like cuz yeah. this feels a lot better. Sure.
0: So roadies, if you have things that you'd love to hear that are specifically related to mental health or specifically related to spirituality or something like that or we're always looking for both mini episode topics and for big episode topics. So As always, we love hearing from you and we look forward to it. Thanks to everyone that reached out and sent us messages and is keeping in touch with us and sending us resources. We love interacting with
1: you. Yeah. So today, you already touched on it a little bit, actually. We are chatting a little bit about New Year's resolutions So here it is towards the end of January, (laughs) It's
0: the last week of January. So anybody else make some New Year's resolutions or
1: raise your hand if you made them and you've already abandoned them (laughs) (laughs) for the year. That's actually why we kind of waited to do this one a little bit later, because we that's an important component of what we're talking about today. Right. I know you have a lot of passion around this topic, Jill. Talk a little bit about why we're doing a New Year's resolutions episode here at the end of January.
0: Yeah. Well, so I really, um, I am so sick of opening up my little email that I get from Target on Sunday with the weekly ad for Target and seeing workout clothing and running shoes. Like, (laughs) let me tell you something. The only time that you will ever catch me running is if someone is chasing me. Like, that (laughs) is just not my cup of tea I applaud those of you who love running I think it's a beautiful pastime <laughs> running is a beautiful way of exercising it's just not my Stop. choice so
1: that that makes me think of my favorite running joke which is I never run with scissors those last two words were unnecessary <laughs> <laughs>
0: with scissors. I love
1: that. (laughs) So honestly as someone who I actually used to love to run I have done two half marathons in my life and I very much miss it. That was used to be my thinking and praying days but I don't know if I'll ever get back truly to my running days. But yeah so you are tired of feeling the corporate pressure to run.
0: Yeah well I think I sometimes look at the culture and see it reflected in the in the ads that we get in the mail. So whether it's, like, the coupon mailers that you get or the, the Target weekly mailer, like, around Christmas time or the holidays, you're seeing, you know, pictures of toys to buy for children or Christmas presents or holiday presents, and then all of a sudden it's, like, you need to have um, yoga pants or you need to have really expensive running shoes or, like, sports bras. Like, we don't even need to get into – The stupidity that is sports for (laughs) us. But um, it it made me realize that there is such a culture about bettering yourself and becoming a better version of yourself. And this, maybe this ends up being the episode title, this whole new year, new you. Mm. And particularly 10 months into a pandemic, I actually heard on the radio that it was this week, 12 months ago, that the first... Case of COVID was hospitalized in the United States. Oh, so wow, COVID has been a part of our lives for twelve months, hmm. and it is not super easy to run to the gym um, or run at all anywhere. And all of these things about you have to be a certain way and you have to do a certain thing. And I would like to make the argument that you don't have to do. A certain thing or be a certain way and if it's the fourth weekend in January and the New Year's resolution that you made has not really made it that far in like if you promised yourself I'm gonna go walking every single day and you didn't make it past three weeks or four weeks may I just be the one to say like that's okay yeah. God still loves you you are not inherently less lovable or valuable or any of those things. And so I just got to thinking about the ways in which New Year's resolutions, I think, culturally are intended to make people feel less than. Then I started thinking about other sort of theological concepts around things like total depravity and shame and
1: things like that. And I thought this might be a really good thing for us to chat about. That sounds like an episode. Yeah, this pressure to Reinvent yourself, this pressure that comes at the beginning of the year to all of a sudden figure out what's wrong with you and make it right. And I want to be clear that's, we're not saying improving yourself is ever a bad thing. Sure. Like that's deciding to get healthier, deciding to take, to bring things into your life that make your life more enjoyable. We are fully supported about that. It's just like most things that we talk about. These ideas that started out as something good gets really twisted into something that becomes harmful. So I think, you know, things like wanting to get healthier – is a really positive thing you know it's never wrong to, want to get healthier I, yeah and when it becomes this i have to work every day i have, I have to walk every day and the walking every day starts to feel like a burden and then we start beating ourselves up if we don't walk every day and then we feel bad if we miss it and then the walking becomes like a chore as opposed to this thing that started out really positive with what can i do to help my body feel better sure exactly
0: the message I find that I want to be putting out into the world 12 months into a global pandemic when we've experienced a lot of stress and anxiety, and I would say those of us, some of us in America have experienced stress and anxiety over attacks on our capital and and political transitions and transitions of power and just like there's a lot going out there and i just keep wanting to put out into the world you are enough you are enough and that there's not this standard that needs to be met in order for you to meet god's love and i think culturally and spiritually and intellectually and emotionally there are these standards out in the world and there are these standards that i think the church sometimes plays a role in upholding that are harmful Where it's it's meant to be this this good thing, and it gets just like you said, twisted into something that promotes that that causes shame or something that makes you feel like you're not enough or you're not good enough.
1: Yeah, I think there's so much there theologically. There's so much there from a mental health perspective that, of course, overlap and intersect. That you know, theologically, this idea of earning God's love or earning even our place in church or being good enough to come to church and being good enough for God, as you said, I think like that's kind of our if we distill down what we want to say is that God loves you unconditionally if you sat in your bed and never did anything the rest of your life. <laughs> so, right. so it's not that we have to earn God's love. And I think we wind up doing that to ourselves as well. And this is where you maybe even people who don't share our faith can have some mental health benefit from recognizing how we love ourselves and how we treat ourselves about feeling pressure to be a better person so that we can love ourselves versus loving ourselves. And then if there are things we want to do to improve ourselves, we do it because we love ourselves, not in order to love ourselves. Like I'm thinking, you know, we know weight loss is a huge Thing that happens this time of year, and that everyone wants to lose weight, and that's where the walking and the exercise and changing. And so, you know, I used to teach classes on emotional eating. And so, this idea of, of if you choose to lose weight, if that is something that is a goal of yours for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. Not saying anyone should feel like it should be, but that you don't do it in order to feel better about yourself or in order to love yourself. You say, I want to get healthier because. I love myself. And so it's going to be really hard to maintain any positive change if it doesn't start from a place of already accepting who we are.
0: Right. Well, and you've said in multiple episodes before, shame isn't a good motivator. And I I sometimes feel like shame is, that was a huge word for me going into thinking about this episode is the ways in which there is shame around who we are and what we are and what we do. And how that relates to how God loves us, how how we love ourselves, how we love other people. and so it, it's so there's there's such a layered mess that comes with shaming me isn't gonna make me want to do these things. Like if you're you know fad dieting because you're ashamed of how you look in the mirror, you know how, what you see when you look in the mirror, like those fad diets aren't gonna last like I. Cannot live (laughs) without carbs. Like, I really (laughs) love them. God gave
1: us carbs for a reason.
0: (laughs) Right. And like, and yes, that has an impact on the way that I see, you know, the reflection that I see when I look at myself in the mirror and I'm not altogether sure that that is directly correlated to the ways in which God loves me and how God loves me. The thing I just keep wanting to profess over and over again that we've said a number of times, we're created in God's image and A lot of times we hear that word image and think of it as a visual thing. And maybe a better way of saying is, like, we're created with God's essence. Like, God is a part of our being. It's a part of who we are and everyone else's. And so we have to take that into account. So there's not a a certain way that we need to look for
1: God. Amen. Thank goodness. (laughs) Thank goodness for
0: that. Yeah. So, so... And sometimes churches have a certain culture about them. Like you have to have a bow tie and your Sunday dress on. And if you don't, you're treated a little bit differently. Yeah. We've, we've been in those churches. We've, we've worshipped yeah. in those places. And, and sometimes it's done consciously and sometimes it's done unconsciously. And um, that it breaks my heart that someone who that, – that you need to be a certain way, that you need to have on a bow tie
1: or a dress – To feel like you could belong in God's right, And, you know, it makes me think, I think I've used this phrase maybe in other podcasts about this message that people seemingly outside the church, but even inside the church, often receive that you have to clean up. And yes, kind of physically, but also morally and in every sense of that word symbolically and literally clean up before you come to church versus church being the place where we come and we're messy together Mm -hmm. and we work on cleaning ourselves up individually. We work on cleaning ourselves up as a group and we do it because we love each other and because we want to reflect God more, not because we're ashamed of who we are, but just because there's always potential to get better. So that's my hope is that people come to church and they're willing to be messy and because... God, God knows. God already knows we're messy. Great. Right. <laughs> it's not. well. It just comes to me like
0: church is about the journey and the process. It's not about the finished product. Like part of the beauty, I think, of being part of a worshiping community and being part of a congregational family is that you get to prepare the whole meal together. You get to start with the ingredients and and putting them in and kneading the bread and letting the bread rise and baking the bread and doing all of the things and then you get to celebrate the abundant feast of communion and and break the bread and tear it apart and and serve it and eat it together. If you if you start at the finished product, if you start with the polished, then people aren't getting to know the real you. You don't have there's not a a genuineness to <laughs> a, a to, to your not an authenticity. About. Authenticity, thank you. There's and and there's not there probably isn't a lot of mutuality either because everyone sort of keeps the their secrets or what they're working on sort of to themselves and that's not shared and that's uh,
1: not real that's such a great metaphor for when i think about a lot of not probably not all but a lot of televangelists or performance based church is they want you just to see what they consider the finished product mm-hmm. without sharing the ingredients and the work and the messes and the stuff we threw in the trash started sure. over. Yeah. And so none of us are finished products right. ever as long as we walk this earth. And so being willing to, to share kind of that baking process together right. to carry that metaphor out. So, so I, yeah, that's, I think, putting words to what I've – some some churches that I have resisted is this – when they put out the idea of we're a finished product. Yes. Or the pastor's a finished product. Right. Or...
0: Very much so. That's, you know, there there are lots of ways in which I think religious leaders are held to different standards. I mean, let me just say, I think we should all be holding ourselves to higher standards, full stop. There are ways in which religious leaders are scrutinized. Um, I know uh, when I gather with people... I am often the one who's asked to pray over the food before we eat or, you know, you, oh, oh, you're the minister, you pray, you're closer to God. Like, oh, you, <laughs> you know, like, I am no closer to God than anyone else. And we're on this journey together. And then, like, that's the model of of being in a religious community is that we're going through this, like, I, the religious leader, am not the baker putting, the, God's the baker, the Holy yeah. Spirit's the baker that's putting all of these ingredients together and getting things.
1: Have I told you my favorite prayer story of <laughs> um, my friend Julie from college and her husband? They were they were both ordained ministers. And it might have been right when my husband met them. We were having dinner. And we all kind of looked at each other like, are we going to pray? Who's going to pray? And then we did the whole... I don't I think that it's something different maybe in Presbyterians but in my Baptist background we would put our thumbs on the table and whoever was the last one to put their thumbs on the table had had to pray and so (laughs) so Julie's husband Jim was the (laughs) last one so he said okay I'll pray and he bowed his head and the first thing he said was dear Lord please forgive these people who don't want to talk to you. (laughs) So I always think of that when people are kind of trying to pawn off the prayer. Oh okay, yeah, that was a little side road that we so went down. Yes. But um
0: Well, and it's this idea of my understanding of the Roman Catholic faith is that's a genuine aspect of their belief. Like the Pope is closer to God than, you know, the, the Catholic
1: Yeah, there's a person that lives in the More distinct hierarchy. But even in that tradition that doesn't let off the individuals. Yeah part in that whole system right and, right so
0: so my hope th- I, I think about the ways in which there are these really good ideas that are out there there are portions of scripture and there are theological concepts that have some good nuggets in them but are twisted and made into this sort of Like I think about like the shame spiral, like a twisty slide, like here's this really good idea. And then like, we're just going to twist it so badly and like shove you down the twisty slide that like Mm. down into, into shame. So one of those concepts that I think about is, uh, nerd alert, the concept of total depravity, which was put into place, uh, I believe mainly by the theologian, John Calvin, um, So when you look John Calvin up, one of the ways to know you're looking at a picture of John Calvin is his hat looks like a Frisbee. That is (laughs) a good way of of, figuring out if you're looking at
1: the right old white guy. All right. If you're Googling that right now, you're you're right in there with Jill's nerd alerts. (laughs) (laughs) But the
0: idea of total depravity is like we are all – Every single one of us, we are totally depraved. We are all sinful creatures. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are worms. We are all unworthy of God's love. Right. And because of that total depravity, there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love. We are totally depraved. God loves us completely of God's own doing, of God's own will. So when I think about that concept, I think it is so beautiful that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love. Like we read in Romans, there's no thing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, which is one of my go-to mantras. And I think that when we hammer too hard on the idea that we are awful and we are terrible and we are sinful and we're not worthy and We need to sort of sit with our sin that we miss some of the beauty of the fact that God loves us despite all that because we're focusing so much on how horrible we are. And that leads to like extreme situations of like hurting people hurting themselves or um, practices that are intended to be beautiful like Praying and
1: fasting turns into a harmful thing. Punishment and. Yeah. And I think the whole theme is these things have to sit together us being unworthy of God's love, but also being completely loved. So I think that the key point of that is security of how, if I'm secure that God loves me no matter what I do, then I can recognize that I'm still unworthy of it, but that doesn't make me spiral into this insecurity and feeling awful about myself because I'm balancing that with and yet God really does love me. Sure. I can accept that I'm messed up I can accept that I'm unworthy and I can also be secure that despite all of that I'm fully loved and those have to live together.
0: Exactly. 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 There's these beautiful things that we read in scripture and that we hear about how we're created in God's image and how we bear God's image and how we are fearfully and wonderfully made that God knows us intimately and loves us intimately and that that we're enough for God. And it's not like we want to say, well, God loves me so I can do whatever I want to do, because that that is the definition of cheap grace. It does It does matter. We want to respond to the grace that God gives us by loving one another. Because scripture also says to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And sometimes we get so focused on loving neighbor that we forget that we should love ourselves. And I think about the ways in which if we don't love ourselves well, I would imagine, it makes it hard to love other people well.
1: Yeah, I often expand that phrase to love your neighbor as you are loving yourself. Yeah, and to just to really kind of bring home, this is a piece of it. It's not love your neighbor, hate yourself. It's not love your neighbor, forget about yourself. So that helps you think about if you're really loving your neighbor the way you love yourself, some of you would not have any friends left or neighbors <laughs> right. or anyone.
0: Right. And there's all these really interesting analogies that go into that too. I think about the ways in which we are invited to love ourselves and care for ourselves so that we can care for other people. So the the uh, analogy that was often given to me when in some of my pastoral counseling classes was that um, the the airplane analogy. You know, when the oxygen masks fall from mm-hmm. the plane, you have to put your oxygen mask on before you can put anybody else's on, because if, if you run out of oxygen, then you can't take care yeah, of anybody if you else. You
1: pass out. You're no good to anyone else.
0: Right, and that so often is a way to to say to people who are caregivers in you know whether that's professionally or vocationally or, or familially like you have to make sure that you can take care of yourself so that you can take care of others or another image that comes to mind um, when when someone is being nasty or hurtful or harmful the invitation to think about the way a uh, an injured dog would behave, that you, you see this, this menacing dog, and the dog is growling and spitting and hissing and everything. And when you get close enough to the dog, you can see that the dog's leg is caught in a trap, and it's mm. injured. And so mm-hmm. it is hurt, and so it is behaving in a manner that hurts others. And how we as humans can mm. often do that as well. We've been hurt, we've been damaged, and so we act hurtfully and damaging to others And there's this servant mentality of like, you got to put others first, put everybody else first, put everybody else first, which that's, again, held in moderation because you can't take care of anyone else if, if you're dead or without oxygen or so hurt that you can't function. And if we continually focus on the awful part of total depravity and not the grace part of God's love, then I think we're missing
1: the point. Yeah, they have to go together. And I'm just even thinking, you know, as you're talking about loving yourself, that to to continually bringing that balance into it, that loving other people and loving ourselves sometimes means being speaking the truth in love. We've used that phrase quite a bit. It might mean holding ourselves accountable for some things right. it might mean disciplining ourselves, sure. it might mean. Looking at how we can improve ourselves. Yeah. So it's not about just, la, 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 everything's fine. You know, so I I feel like we need to be clear that that's not where we're going either. That it's not a bad thing to want to improve yourself. Sure. But that coming out of a place of feeling secure in who you are, accepted where you are, and then that change can come out of a desire to serve or to be better or to, you know, so... If someone wants to eat better or be healthier or to be a better person or to call on the elderly in your church or be a better neighbor in whatever way, that's a beautiful thing. We just want to be sure it's not getting twisted into a burden, that it's really coming from a place of feeling valuable and not doing that in order to feel valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's um, one of the resources that immediately pops into my mind is Brene Brown's the Gifts of imperfection and so many so much of the other work that she's done around um, being vulnerable and being courageous and and thinking about that love for self, empowering that love for others because there is a a, a self-esteem that that we should have because we are created in God's image. We are, bearers of God's divine essence and there's a humility in that and there's a boldness in that that we claim that um, and and the rest of humanity can claim that too. I get so stuck on the idea that you have to fit a certain mold or you have to behave a certain way for for others to love you for God to love you or even for for you to be able to love yourself and the the what what I hope this episode helps to do is break some of those standards down and reframe them a little bit and maybe even just give people the permission to say like this this isn't the best narrative
1: for me yeah and that your self-worth your value doesn't depend on whether other people love you or even specific other people loving you and That's easy to say and really hard to to practice, especially when there's someone specific we really would like to love us or a group that we would really like their approval from. But there still can just be if we're able to recognize that made in the image of God and that God created us out of love, that that undergirds all of that rejection we might get from other people and allows us to continue on to find our people. Or our person who will love us in that way. Right. And to to find someone that will create security around that as opposed to insecurity.
0: It's holding these ideas in balance with each other and and taking them in moderation. When God created us, God said, and this is very good. Very good. Tov me'od is the Hebrew, like, beautiful, so, so Mm. very good. And yes, we sin. And yes, we fall short. And God still loves us. So it's the same thing with that servant mentality. Like we want to be good servants. We want to serve others and love our neighbors and take care of others. And when that servant mentality turns into this sort of glorified martyrdom, I have to suffer. I have have to endure this horrible thing. The whole, like, we're we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we have to endure these trials and tribulations. And and only then can we say that we've suffered enough to be able to earn star- jewels in the crown or whatever See, it is. And that it's back
1: to control. I know I say that all the time, but that's where so much twisting happens is people seeking control and seeking power. And the earning puts us in control. Right. Puts us in a powerful position and releasing that and accepting who we are and whatever change might come out of that but accepting God's love really is a releasing of that control and that can be terrifying if we're used to if, if we felt out of control in very horrific ways in our lives but that's that's what kept coming up for me when I heard you say that is I haven't thought about trying to earn God's love as a control thing but I think that's really what's rooting it in a lot of ways. Yeah,
0: yeah. You talking about control leads me to another one of my pet peeves um in terms of the misinterpreting or the focusing on the wrong thing in scripture. I think about the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is coming to visit Mary and Martha and Martha by cultural standards is busy and taking care of a number of things and Mary drops everything and goes to sit at Jesus' feet. And the idea or the concept is that Mary is doing it the right way and Martha is doing it the wrong way.
1: Is it, Jesus says Mary Jesus has t- chosen what is best or something like that.
0: something about the better portion or or something like that. And there are so there's so many things wrong with how I think the the cultural church has taken this story out of concept. Like the picture that Martha has, an apron on and is standing at the stove and cleaning the house and preparing like a good little housewife. Like, if you could mm. see the look on my face and the <laughs> steam coming out of my ears, like that is not at all what was happening. The, the Greek word that's used for describing the business that Martha was about is this word, this Greek word diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon from. It's a ministry. She was busy. Worrying about the business of ministry and making sure that the apostles had what they need, the the food that they were going to bring to the needy. She was she was busy worrying about the business of ministry, and on the Myers Briggs scale,
1: Martha is a J and Mary is a P. And Mary or maybe was, on the love languages, she's an acts of service. Exactly. And- And Mary was a quality time or something like that.
0: Right. And so for that moment, Jesus was saying, what's important right now is for us to be together. And and we'll deal with the the business of ministry momentarily. Jesus wasn't saying that ministry wasn't important. He wasn't
1: dismissing what she was doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, every time Martha comes up and is holding a frying pan, I want to scream because (laughs) it's, it's, we're focusing on the wrong thing. And so the whole, the the ways in which the cultural church has said, like, everybody be like Mary. Everybody drop everything that you're doing. As a particularly strong J on the Myers-Briggs <laughs> scale, someone who enjoys a list and a schedule and a... And getting things done. Dependable weather forecast, dropping everything is, is not my favorite thing to do. And, like... No, ministry is not the perfect career for someone who really likes to have everything <laughs> planned all of the time.
1: How do you stand um, it, Jill? That's funny.
0: But, but if we're constantly focusing on be like Mary and not like Martha, when the church is saying be like this person and not like this person, there's this judgment. This is, you know, use your New Year's resolutions to do things this way or coming way sooner than it needs to on the liturgical calendar this season of lent what are we giving up like what do you need to give up i heard a story once about someone who was thinking about this practice of giving up something for lent of making a sacrifice for lent in their own life to honor the sacrifice that jesus made in jesus's life and ministry in this journey of lent that begins on ash wednesday and goes up until easter and this um, person was telling me that they were thinking about what to give up and they were having this conversation and someone suggested to them that it would be a good idea for them to give up chocolate for lent the idea being <laughs> that they maybe needed to lose weight
1: oh and like oh. that's what
0: they should be giving up and like
1: that that's... we need to decide if we can cuss on this podcast because I have some very <laughs> specific cuss words that I want okay. to say right now. How is that pointing to God? like that's I think
0: that's the big issue that I have with with so many of the way that these things get twisted. If we're talking about servanthood and martyrdom on that on that spectrum, that servanthood is still pointing to God because we're serving God's people. When the martyrdom becomes, look at me, look at how much I'm mm. suffering, and it stops pointing to God, and, and starts it doesn't pointing work at that me. way. It's the same with giving things up for Lent or taking things on for Lent. It's the same with New Year's resolutions. Like, how is yeah. it pointing to God? How is it bringing you closer to God? Well, and
1: so, yeah, I've, my brain's going a couple different ways because got a Mary Martha thought, got a Lent thought. So with the Lent thought is, you know, having grown up in a small Baptist church, I, I don't know, even know that I'd heard the term Lent until I went to college. It was We didn't really follow the liturgical calendar. I certainly had never heard of giving up something for Lent. Sure. And then all of a sudden people at college were doing that. I'm like, what is this? I don't understand it. Um, and then have, when someone finally explained to me that it's just about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and that every time you think about something you've given up, then you remember the sacrifice of Jesus. So that is not about... Oh, poor me! I can't have chocolate, or oh, poor me! I can't have sweets or anything. It's more about like, oh, I am remembering and honoring the sacrifice. So it's pointing towards something, not to my poor me, woe is me kind of thing. So yeah, and that's what you just talked about, pointing to God rather than drawing pointing to ourselves. Sure. And the Mary and Martha thing, I really, I've heard a few different interpretations of that, but. And please correct me if I'm misremembering this story, that perhaps Martha was fussing at Mary prior to this. Am I remembering that? That she was trying to get her to come help her with the tasks? Yes, yeah, in and, one of the gospel
0: interpretations, yeah. there's a sisterly disagreement. And
1: so it wasn't that Jesus was went out of his way to say, no, Martha, you're doing it the wrong way. It was when Martha was trying to get Mary to do it her way that it was like, hmm. She's chosen perhaps what is best for her right now. And that doesn't mean that you can't do what you're called to do and what's best for you. Yeah. That's
0: exactly the interpretation that I would hope that people would take from that. That Jesus was saying, like, Mary's doing what's... Like, worry about yourself. There's a phenomenal... Uh, like it's longer than a meme. It's a YouTube video. Of it's a little one girl. of those parts
1: that she goes, "You worry about yourself. Worry about yourself." I love that one. Yeah. Okay, we have to find that. and put go it on in our show notes, show notes for sure. My husband and I say that to, all, to each other all the time. Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. <laughs> Which may maybe that's what we call the
0: episode. You know, like because we do need to worry about ourselves sometimes. It's this balance of of how are we how are we honoring the divine in ourselves like we're so often in so many of the sermons that I preach and the worship services that I lead I'm regularly talking about how are you seeing God in everyone who crosses your path well when you look in the mirror you need to you need to recognize mm. that God is within you as well
1: that's and a that, path you cross more than any others
0: preach it sister <laughs> yes that and that's i think we miss that and and the the cultural Pressure to be thin, or to wear makeup all the time, or to go running. Look, if you love running, (laughs) please don't hear me pooping on all of the people who love running. But like, there's, there. God, God loves the runners and the walkers (laughs) and the couch sitters and the cyclists and the swimmers and everyone in between. That we would find. The ways in which our theology and our traditions around church and our congregations and our worshiping communities are pointing us to God and God's love. It always that's it always goes back to that for me. When you're interpreting scripture or when you're weighing a theological perspective, how is it communicating God's love?
1: Yeah, and so if we think of some U-turns, I think that's kind of the big one. Yeah, is how is what you're doing pointing towards God's love and you you talked about that just wanting to recognize that a lot of what we're talking about here is shame and how we beat up ourselves how we're kindly focused on how bad we are or how we didn't meet our goal if that's where you are at the end of January having not kept your new year's resolutions are you shaming yourself and if we did a u-turn from shame for me it would be acceptance you know it's just really hard to change something until we've accepted where we are sure. and people really try to skip over that but naming and really setting with who we are and I think that happens individually I think we're seeing that reckoning as a nation in yes. many ways not to go down to some other episodes but just having to accept maybe what we've done having to not try to pretend to Not trying to deny maybe the shadow sides of ourselves individually, the shadow sides of ourselves and our nation's history, moving on towards unity before we've worked on justice and reconciliation and all of that. So accepting, okay, this is what has happened and this is where I am. And that doesn't mean I'm not valuable. That doesn't mean from the theological perspective that God doesn't love me, but that doesn't mean that I'm not a full person and that I'm not valuable because we accept and we recognize who we are and maybe the ways that we haven't lived up to our own expectations. Right.
0: Right. In the act of quote, worrying about ourselves of, of, of working on loving ourselves, coming to that acceptance of that, is that we're enough, that, that you are enough for God and that it's that we're, we're okay. And it's okay not to be okay, that, yeah. you know, there's there's this sort of collective um, sigh of, of relief in our country about um, that there were many concerns about more violence erupting in the midst of a transition of power. And, and I, I heard and had some conversations with folks who said, I expected to feel more relieved and I'm still reeling a little bit and still trying to figure out how to operate and 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 that it's okay to not be okay all of the time and that we don't have to be this perfectly polished thin tall yoga pants wearing sports bra donning (laughs) sneaker wearing workout Barbie version of anything I, there's a lot of judgment in that and I apologize <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if that is you you do you God loves that's you. that's okay too God loves that's you. just definitely not us and so we don't want to try to be that right we're not right. You know, and I think of it metaphorically almost like a house and I this might be part of a counseling theory too I might need to look up and see if I need to cite some things here but you know if we think about just ourselves as a house and what rooms we have in our house do we have some rooms that we keep the door closed on that we really don't want other people to see or that are darker and so how can we be like this room is in my house too you know it's all my house it's all my house and there's some rooms that i'm not as proud of as others but i have to let them be in my house and and pretending like they're not there doesn't happen but beating myself up for them being there doesn't help anything and so how do we open the doors and shine some light and then figure out what we want to do with that room yeah and not just keeping it hidden away and ashamed of it yeah yeah
0: i mean so much of of the u-turns for me are acceptance like you said and balance and moderation that you would look at these ideas and these concepts that are being put forward and you would hold them in tension with one another with you know that that in in learning more and understanding total depravity we are all we're all sinning none of us are perfect we are never going to be perfect and god loves us in our imperfections and god loves us as we strive for perfection and everywhere in between
1: amen to that
0: yeah so I'm thinking more about our billboards and where we, this sort of mm. comes up in, in current events or in pop culture, things like that. Um, I definitely have some that come to mind um, and they might be more niche <laughs> than I think about it, but I think about like, uh, so the the Dan Brown book, which became a movie, The Da Vinci
1: Code, I did not read that. I think I'm the only one in America that didn't read it. But I have not read The Da Vinci Code. or it's, Nor seen the movie.
0: It's an interesting way of looking at things. And I think there's lots of... Lots of people have lots of feelings about it as a larger book. This this particular idea about uh, suffering and, and sort of martyrdom and, and things like that is like a very, very small portion of this movie. There's a monk in the... Who's a, who's a character who does things, horrible things, and then he hurts himself. And uh, y'all might find this funny. The term for hurting yourself or whipping yourself as a religious practice is self-flagellation. With a G. With a G. <laughs> not a T. We're, yes, we're not, <laughs> we're not talking about <laughs> flagellation or farting. <laughs> Yep, I just said fart on our podcast. I don't know if we're going to keep this in here. We'll see. Right. (laughs) But the idea that um, in order to be reminded of our sin, we have to inflict physical pain on ourselves. And the ways in which, and I appreciate that that movie frames that as like, "This this is wrong. This is not something that is done. But that there are these concepts like fasting for very, very long periods of time, which might not be... A safe practice and the idea of of suffering. Um, the other concept, the other pop culture thing that comes to mind for me is a movie that I find hysterical. It's called Saved. It. I don't think it was a massive blockbuster movie. I should probably research when it came out or something. I think it's um, been a while, but it's like a few decades ish, <laughs> maybe. But this. The, the all of the characters in this, it's about a Christian school and they have like Jesus concerts and Jesus is my boyfriend. And um, the girls are expected to behave a certain way, and the boys are expected to behave a certain way, and the adults are expected to behave a certain way. This is a high school, so the concept of teenagers is there. And all of the characters have this duality to their sides. So there's like how they are in public versus how they are in private mm. and how they are in public is they bring their shiny finished product mm. selves to to school they don't show what's going wrong they are
1: who they are supposed to be
0: yes yeah so one of the characters is a teenage girl who gets pregnant and how that's dealt with in the school and yeah. the way it's th- not a
1: christian movie it's right. not a. It's it's about it's Christian po- culture, yes. right? But it it's, is about it's poking Christian, fun of it. Yes, okay. there
0: are there are some. Um, one particularly fabulous scene where one of the characters insists that she is doing the Christian thing by whisking away the pregnant teenager to another place, and when the pregnant teenager says, "God loves me as I am." Something happens and the character says, I am full of the love of Christ and literally throws the Bible at the (laughs) pregnant teenager like it's a weapon, which I'm sure we will come back to because it's a hysterical analogy in metaphor in so many ways. But this idea that that movie purports that in the reality of that particular Christian high school, that there's the version of God, the, the version of ourselves that we have to be in order for God to love us, like... Like, God doesn't see
1: everything. Like, God doesn't know everything. That whole performative Christianity. Yes. Which is still so, like, if you believe in God, or even if you're claiming to believe in God, you, if you believe in God, you know that God knows everything (laughs) and (laughs) sees everything. So who are we performing for? Sure. Like, who's the audience for this performative Christianity? Right. Right. That's giving so much control to other people. That's giving it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any... Or current events, or other ways where you feel like some of these concepts show up, and
1: you know the thing that comes to mind—not so much pop pop culture, but where when I think of a U-turn and what I'd like to see in a different way is—you know, New Year's resolutions are fine. We're not we're not bashing New Year's resolutions. It's a it makes sense. It's a new year. It's not a wrong thing to have a reset. Um, but just some other ways that I've seen in pop culture, people moving forward like I know our church one of the great things you do is give people a word you know or sometimes people choose their own word but if people if people want a word you did it on our church zoom call this time of and then throughout social media just you have we usually have have them on little stars and you hand them out at Mm -hmm. the end of the year or the new year for the word and then so we found a different way to do it this year but so rather than you must change this it's just How can you embrace this concept? Like, mine was hope this year. I love that. It's one of my favorite words ever. If I had children, I was going to name a daughter Hope. It's truly one of my favorite words. So it's, you know, that's a beautiful thing that is really different from beating myself up for not getting back to running. Sure. I did. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things I, I have... I'm trying not to beat myself up for not doing this yet because I really wanted to do a vision board. I've never done a vision board, but I hear people talking about just having this visual representation of finding pictures that represent things you'd like to have happen this year. So I had I wanted to put print out like a a a picture of from the musical Hamilton. With Hamilton and Burr because I'm really, like, in my mind, like, be a Hamilton, not a Burr. Like, quit sitting on the sidelines and waiting for things to happen. Like, really work. <laughs> like, so I wanted that to be one of my visions for. Sure. And I wanted I um, a picture of writing because I'm trying to finish this textbook that I've been writing forever. And I've got to get it done. <laughs> I like, quit kind of putting it off those. So having a vision for, like, things I'd like to see happen. Um, so beautiful and that helps me from in my mind that's more about where I want to go rather than beating myself up for not having accomplished this goal. and I talk about that with clients a lot once you have gone through that acceptance piece that we talked about that is so important, like this is who I am, this is what I don't want anymore, this is the reason I like to change, then focus on what you're changing to rather than what you're changing from. You know, if we go back to the healthy eating example, if you spend all day going, I really would love a steak, but I can't have it. Or I'm not going to eat pizza, but oh, that'd be good. But no, no, I'm being good. If instead we say, today I'm going to choose things that make me feel better, make my body feel better, things that are healthier. Right. Focus on what we're doing instead of what we're not doing. It's a whole lot easier to work towards something than to work against something. Right. So to accept what that we're leaving, the what we're working against, but really whatever we focus on, we make bigger. That's one of our rules for life. Whatever we focus on, we make bigger. So yeah. choosing what we focus on would be one of the u-turns that came to mind for me.
0: I love that. Just that accepting that we're inherently loved by mm-hmm. God and that there's there's not a lot that we there's there's not not a lot there's nothing that we can no do thing to change that and that when we can accept that we're loved by God that gives us a chance to to be a little kinder to ourselves to offer mm. us a, I talk about grace a lot and when someone is is being particularly hard on themselves. One of the things that I like to say to them is like be be gracious to yourself. Like we talk about the grace that God pours out on us over and over and over again and how how stuck up is it for us to say like well God pours all this grace out on us but I'm not going to offer myself that same grace. Mm. Like I don't know if stuck up is the right way of phrasing that, but egotistical. Yes.
1: I yes. know better than God.
0: Right. How dare we restrict God's grace? You know, cuz when we refuse to give grace ourselves to ourselves, then we're refusing to accept the grace that God's given us. And like, how dare we do that? God has created us and God loves us. And you know, I I will I will fight hard to have that be something that the world knows, that that God loves you and that there's not anything that you can do to change that. And there's not anything that anyone else can do to change that.
1: Yeah. The way I've heard it said, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can fail at to make God love you less.
0: Yeah. There's nothing nothing we've done or left undone, said or left unsaid, no missed opportunity. I feel like this might be the refrain that we end <laughs> end in a lot of times, but there's just... God's love is so much bigger and more abundant and more immeasurable than our reflection in a mirror or the keeping or not keeping of a New Year's resolution or the presence of running shoes and a sports bra in your
1: house. Watch out for people who are restricting that love because it is so immeasurable.
0: Yes. I love that. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it because God's love can't be restricted.
1: All right. So let us know. How your news re- New Year's resolutions or your vision boards or your word of the year, any of that, how that's yeah. coming along and anything you think, because, yeah, I think this is, we're do- talking about at the end of January, but it's something we should remember throughout the whole year. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You're loved. You are enough. We're grateful for you. We're grateful to be on this journey with you, and we look forward to hearing from you however you want to reach out to us. There's, We, really like, to- we really like <laughs> you. We really like you. We really like you. And there's lots of ways that you can be in contact with us. You can um, check us on our website,
1: sacredintersectionspodcast.com. You can find us on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. Sometimes we forget about Twitter. Sometimes <laughs> I'm not good at Twitter, but we're on Twitter at Sacred Pod, and we're trying to get better at Twitter. And um, yeah, so safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week. And I did that last week, y'all. I don't know if you heard it. It was not the same as a Jill's woohoo, but woohoo! <laughs>